Well, in uh, 2004, 16 years ago, Dave Asprey was an overweight, lethargic Silicon Valley executive, and he decided to take a pilgrimage uh, to the Himalayas, and there was offered by some monks yak butter tea, and that yak butter tea almost instantly invigorated him. And so he came back to the States and developed something that we all probably know called Bulletproof Coffee, where he mixed coffee with uh, coconut oil or medium-chain triglyceride oils and grass-fed butter to come up with Bulletproof Coffee. And from that, developed a whole line of stuff, Bulletproof Nutrition. And he got the name from his neighbor, and he says basically that it can reverse aging, can give you the energy and vitality of a young person, and give you focus on your job. And he said that his aspiration is actually to live to 180 years. He wants to be 180 years old. And again, he is sharing all these, what he calls biohacking secrets, I guess, to help you reverse aging and live to be 180 years old. But here's the thing that Bulletproof Coffee cannot do. If you're going through marital challenges right now, if you're going through challenges in marriage, drinking Bulletproof Coffee is not really going to do a whole lot for your marriage. If you've got challenges in parenting, If you've got loved ones that are sick, if you've got a parent who's ill, drinking Bulletproof coffee probably is not going to do a whole lot for you. And if you talk about eternity, one day when you and I stand before God, Bulletproof coffee probably is not going to do a whole lot for you there either. But what Jesus offers in this last section of the Sermon on the Mount is a way for us to bulletproof our lives. So when we experience challenges in marriage, at work, a year like 2020, that we will not succumb and give in to the challenges that life faces. And even ultimately, one day when we stand before God and uh, have to give an account to him. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to find the secret to bulletproofing our lives in Matthew 7. How can you bulletproof your life? Again, bulletproof coffee may give you focus and energy and those kinds of things. and may help you lose weight. When it comes to the challenges of life, spiritually, socially, maritally, relationally, at work, They probably won't do a whole lot for you, but there's uh, something that Christ offers in Matthew 7, 24 through uh, 29, that can allow us to bulletproof our lives. Let's read this, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. So here we find Jesus wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. Again, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, The Sermon on the Mount is first written to the religious religious leaders of the day who practice external religion, a very self-righteous religion. And he says, basically, you cannot meet God's standard living your life that way. But he also comes to us as those who put their faith in Christ as kingdom citizens, saying, if you want to live now as King Jesus wants you to live, here's the way to do it. And it's appropriate that Jesus wraps up the Sermon on the Mount with this contrast between the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand. Because again, he's talking about how we can weather and endure the challenges that we face in life. So here's point number one. Two lives can look identical during times of calm. 
Two lives can look identical during times of calm. Now, the listeners, the hearers of this Sermon on the Mount know about the Sea of Galilee, that on the Sea of Galilee, that there were people who would actually build their house on the sand, the sandy shores, and they would experience storms, and those houses would quickly fall apart. He also knows that there are people here who built their house on the rock. And so he's giving is a picture, analogy, illustration of two different lives. He's not talking literally about homes and, and buildings. He's talking about lives or households. And so what he says is this. In verse 25, he says uh, that one of them built his house on the rock. Verse 26, the other one built his house on the sand. He's saying that you and I can build our lives, establish our lives on two different kinds of foundations. But here's the thing. The house that's built on the sand, the house that's built on the rock, the life that's built on sand, the life that's built on the rock, during times of calm, when there's no storms, when there's no adversity, can look exactly alike. Because above the surface, they look exactly alike. They both may have gone to AM and graduated with honors. They both, both may have gone to UT Law School. They both may have uh, the same type of house in the same neighborhood. They both may have kids of the same age. They both may have gotten married in 2011. They both may, both may have the same paying jobs in upper management, making about the same amount of money. They both may have taken the vacation last year to Orlando to Disney World. They both may have a lot of things in common, the same soccer teams our kids play for. They both may be a part of Bayou City Fellowship. And he says, during times of calm, they're going to look exactly alike, exactly alike. Um, many years ago, our church plant, what we did on Saturday was we'd go to local parks that were very active, with a lot of people, families, and, and people engaging in all kinds of outdoor activities. And we would go with coolers full of water on ice and soda pop and Coca-Cola and Sprite. And we'd go hand out free drinks to people. And I remember it was my job to go and buy the drinks, fill the coolers. And so I remember going to HEB and buying 12-pack of Diet Dr. Pepper, 12-pack of Dr. Pepper, some Sprite, some drinks, and we'd fill the cooler. And I was opening up the uh, uh, 12-pack of Diet Dr. Pepper, putting the cans into the cooler, putting ice in there. And then I grabbed one can, and it was unusually light. Come to find out the can was completely empty, nothing in it at all. And I thought maybe there's a hole or a leak. It was perfectly sealed. And here's the thing. If you took a can that was full of Diet Dr. Pepper and a can, this can that I found that was completely empty. If you looked at the top, both of them were sealed. Both of them didn't have any holes or leaks on the bottom. From the outside, they looked exactly alike. And as I was about to go back to HEB and say, hey, you, what, you know what? You sold me an 11-pack, not a 12-pack, and get my money back. God began to speak to me and said, you know what? There's a lot of people sitting at Bayou City Fellowship this morning that's what they are. There's people who look exactly the same, look exactly the same during times of calm, but when it's uh, a wind blows or a gust comes, you'll see if they have real weight in their lives. So here's the thing I want you to encourage you. Number one is this, and you've heard this before. If you want to have joy in life, anybody here want to have joy in life, joy in life, here's a principle that you can practice. Do not compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to what other people drive, where other people live, other people's jobs. Compare yourself, if you're going to have a standard for your own growth, is compare yourself to Jesus. He's the perfect standard. He's the source and the strength. Become like Christ. When it comes to life, do not compare yourself to others, what they drive, where they, how long they've been married, and how happy they seem, and all those kinds of things, because you will not find joy in that. And here's another tip, especially, 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 
on social media because on social media, we only put our highlights. Don't compare the life of the, the whole film of your life compared to somebody's highlight reel. So it's, uh, especially during social media and especially during times of calm, because when it's calm, peaceful, when everyone's getting the Christmas bonus, when everyone's doing well, when everyone's healthy, you know what? Everyone seems to be doing well. It's all, it seems all equal. So again, two lives can look identical during times of calm. But here's what verse 25 says. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Look at verse 27. The rain fell, the same rain and the floods came, the same floods and the winds blew and the same slamming happened against that house and it fell and great was its fall. That word great there is a Greek word mega from which we get the English words like megalomaniac and obviously it means to be great. He says the same storm hit both houses that during times of calm, during times of calm, both lives looked exactly alike. Same job, same income, same vacations. But he says the moment a storm came, one was left standing and the other fell. So here's point number two. But the inevitable storms of life have a revealing effect. The inevitable storms of life. In James chapter one, James is writing the half brother of Jesus to Christians who are going through trials. Trials in their marriage, trials at work, trials in parenting, trials with their health, trials in persecution. And he says there, when, not if, he says, when you encounter various trials, which seems to indicate that we are going to go through trials and difficulties. They're inevitable. And he says the word various, and that word various in the Greek means multicolored or multifaceted. So they can be trials with your health, trials in your parenting, trials at work, trials at school, a difficult exam, unfair grades, racial injustice. They can cover a myriad of things, and they can even include, hopefully you're honest enough to say amen to this, even when you make jacked up choices and you mess up your own life, God can help you grow through that as well. So he says, these storms and difficulties in life are inevitable, and they have a revealing effect. And notice in the text again. Both houses, same rain, same wind, same slamming. One fell and the other was left standing because storms have a revealing effect. Um, my, my daughters will tell you, my wife, I'm very impatient at times. I've got a schedule and a plan. And I can't remember where I'm supposed to be. I think I was supposed to be at some event um, and I was supposed to pick up the drinks or some food. And have you ever been through the 15 items or less line? And the person in front of you has like 18 items. Have you ever been there before? And I'll count. So don't ever be in front of me in the 15 items or less because I'll count. And, and this person had 18 items and they're like taking forever. Like, do I want to use this credit card? No. Do I want to use the ATM card? No. Do I want to pay cash? And I'm like, look, I'm in a hurry. Like, let's go. So finally they get through. It's my turn. I've only got four items. They check me out. And then I give them a 20. And again, I'm in a hurry. The clerk, the cashier, takes my 20, takes out a black pen. And I'm like, what is this? And they mark on my $20 bill. And then they put it in and give me my cash. And I'm like, what, what is that? And they say, it's a counterfeit detection marker. And I said, that's interesting. And I said, what does it do? And they said, hey, if you mark a $20 bill or any dollar bill, if it comes up clear, that means it's a real bill. And if it comes up with a black or brown mark, it's a fake bill, counterfeit bill. And I studied it and I found out this that that counterfeit marker pen contains iodine. Iodine reacts with wood pulp and makes it brown, dark brown, or black. But dollar bills, $100 bills, $20 bills, they're made out of fiber, cotton fiber, 25%, and linen fiber, 75%. And so when you mark on it, it'll come up clear. 
if it's got cotton or linen, but if it's got wood pulp, it'll come up brown or black. And that's what a counterfeit marker does. It detects what's genuine, what that bill is printed on, if the foundation is real or not. And you know what? That's what the storms and trials and difficulties in life will do. They reveal what your life or who your life is built on. If your life is built on the sand or if it's built on the rock, that's what it will do. It will determine that. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. As you think back, and I've heard this from so many people, we've only got about two and a half weeks left of 2020. And everyone is talking about, I cannot wait till 2021. And I I don't have an inside track in terms of prophecy to God, but what are you going to do if 2021 is even worse than 2020? Right? So I would say, don't put your hope in 2021. Keep your hope in God. Because here's the question to ask. 2020 has been a storm, a trial in and of itself. And my question is, as you heard about a global pandemic, as you heard about economic downturn, as you heard about the stock market crashing, as you heard about possible pink slips, as you heard about these things, what was your response? How did you respond? Because your response is going to reveal what or who your life is built on. So here's the thing again. What happens if 2021 is even worse? If the economy even goes further south, if the pandemic spreads even further, if a new pandemic arises, those difficulties and trials in life reveal what happens. And here's the thing. Going back to that same person, that life, same school, A&M with honors, same job, same management, same vacation, same house, same income, same car, same, all those things are the same. But when they go through trials, they get the same diagnosis. They get the same prognosis. They still have to care for that same loved one, that mom or father. They have to care for that same child. They both get the pink slip on the same day. What, uh, that's when uh, what your life is found and I will get revealed. So here's the thing. Here's the difference between the two. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Look at this in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts, acts. You can underline that word. Hears and acts, acts. Look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act. So he says the difference between the person, the man or woman, who builds his life, her life, on the rock, which I believe is 1 Corinthians 3.11, Jesus Christ, is simply when you hear the word, when you read the word, when you're doing Bible study, when you're doing your devotions, what do you do with what God reveals to you? And he says here, the one who builds their life on the rock consistently puts into practice, into action, what they hear, what they read, what they study. And notice this in verse 24, he says that person who hears and acts is a wise man, is a wise person. He says in verse 27, I mean 26, the one who hears and does not act, he says, is a foolish person. So here's the thing that that text is teaching us. You can be a fool and and know the word of God. You can go to every single Bible study, read every single commentary, memorize scriptures in its entirety. You can know the word of God. And he says, you can go to the same church, hear the same sermon And he says, and you can still be a fool. So here's point number three. The difference is this, obeying Christ's authoritative word. 
He says at the end of verse 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? His teaching uh, them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The scribes would take the Old Testament, add their interpretation, twists and all that. But he says, when Jesus spoke, when he taught, it was authoritative because it was the very word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is inspired. God breathed. And the word really isn't inspired, it's expired. God breathed into human authors and has the authoritative word. So the difference, if your life is built on the rock or the sand, is are you hearing and doing? Are you hearing and doing? Are you acting on the word? Look at James 1, that verse that we looked, uh, talked about earlier, James 1. James compares this as these believers are going through trials. He says it's like a mirror. The word of God, the law is like a mirror. James 1.22. So when you hear a sermon, when you hear a podcast, when you study the word of God, do you put what God reveals into practice? Look at verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Verse 25, for one, uh, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. So the analogy he gives, this picture is again, you wake up this morning, you look in the mirror, you see your hair out of place, all these other things on your face. He says, you look at that and see all these areas that need to be changed and worked on and rather than doing anything, you walk away and show up to Bayou City Fellowship, toe up from the flow up. He says, that's how foolish it is for you to get into God's word. God shows you something. He shows you you. And you say, that's nice, God. And you walk away and don't put it into practice. Now, here's the thing I want to caution you about, because we can easily get into legalism. where We say, you know what? I give tithes. I share my faith. I pray. I check, check, check. God is not asking for checklist Christianity. We're just doing, doing, doing for the sake of doing. It's based on a relationship with him. Look at John 14. This is the last verse we're going to look at today. John 14. John 14. John 14 uh, is a section all about intimacy with God, intimacy with God the Father, God the Son, and He's promising the Holy Spirit that will come and it will dwell inside of us. You want to talk about an intimate relationship. God himself is going to dwell inside of us. In John 14, 14, Jesus says this. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Can you imagine if you had a prayer life like that? The moment you prayed and God says, I'm going to answer it. You ask it, I'm going to do it. Because you have such an intimate relationship with God. Your heart now is so close to God's heart. Your mind is so connected to God's mind that you know the will of God, that when you pray, you're actually praying God's will. God says, of course I'm going to do it. That's my will. He says, you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then look at verse 15. If you love me, if you're radically focused on me, you will keep my commandments. He says, the way that we can measure our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ is not necessarily how loud we sing on Sunday, but our devotion Monday through Saturday and into Sunday our obedience to him. That word keep 
my commandments, the Greek word tereo, which means to guard or literally let your life revolve around. It's a picture of the Secret Service agent. The Secret Service agent, his life revolves around protecting the president. And he says, as a Christian, if you love Jesus, if you're radically focused on him, if he's your king and your lover and your Lord, he says, then you should make as your mission. I want my life to revolve around obeying God's word, to know it and to do it. Look at verse 23, John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. But I thought God loves everybody. He does, but you will experience his love and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. So he says in this promise again, he says, you love me, you keep my word. You let your life revolve around obeying my word. If you love me out of a desire and love and obedience to him. And notice this, he says in verse 24, he says, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Here's the question. I thought, I thought God is omnipresent. I thought God is everywhere. Psalm 139, wherever I go, God is with me. Like I thought God is omnipresent. This is the experienced presence of God, the intimate presence of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience that presence, not just on Sundays when we gather, but every day in my life. And he says, this is the way you do it. You love Jesus. You study his word. You keep his word. And God will now come and reside with you. He will be present with you. What's a God who once felt distant and far away will now feel near and intimate. Um, don't do this today, y'all. Please don't do this. Um, so my best friend, Tommy's here. He's best man at my wedding. He's here visiting today. He can give you a lot of dirty secrets on me, a lot of skeletons in the closet. Um, but th today's my 23rd wedding anniversary as well, so it's appropriate. He's here, and my wife's watching at home. So, um, But Eric Mason was a groomsman in my wedding. And you're wondering, well, how did Eric become a groomsman in your wedding? When I moved into Dallas Seminary, I lived in Lincoln Hall. And Lincoln Hall is three floors, and it's an old building. And I lived on the first floor. Eric lived on the third floor. So when we first moved into Dallas Seminary, we had Greek class together. We went to church together. But when it came to where we lived, I was on the first floor. He was on the third floor. So we had a first floor, upper floor relationship. But in our second year, we found out that a Christian doctor who lived about a mile and a half from the seminary had a doctor's practice, his little uh, clinic. On the second floor, he had a two-bedroom apartment that he would rent out to seminary students. Get this. Two-bedroom, one-bath apartment for $200 a month. $100 for me, $100 for Eric, all bills paid. So we lived there, and this is what happened. I went from having a first-floor, third-floor relationship with Eric to now living in the same apartment relationship. And because we became such good friends, I said, hey, when it's time for me to get married, I want you to be a groomsman in my wedding. We had that kind of relationship. And if you love Jesus, are radically focused on him, and you commit saying, by the power of the Holy Spirit, empowered by him, I want to obey God's word. God goes from being a heavenly up there kind of God to now a near God. You can experience God's presence to now abide and live with you. So again, the key here is hearing, knowing, and then doing or acting upon it. He says, you can be a fool, the wise man, the wise woman, the wise kid, hears God's word, knows God's word, and then does it, puts it into practice. The fool goes to the same Bible studies, sitting here right now, watching online, 
checks all the verses and knows all things, but does not put God's word consistently into practice. Imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine you're here this morning and you're looking at me on stage. And as you're looking at me on stage, your vision begins to get cloudy. And you're like, man, I can't see very well. So you go to your doctor the next day and they refer you to an ophthalmologist. You enter the ophthalmologist's office and you sit down. You explain your symptoms and you, you, you look around and you see vaguely a big old diploma, big old diploma frame from Harvard. Another one uh, from the Wilmer Institute at Johns Hopkins, the med school, number one eye institute in America, the Wilmer Institute. Then you see like another certificate for like a, a, a study fellowship in Oxford in, in eye research. And the ophthalmologist begins to tell you saying, you know what, we can do a surgery. You've got a problem with your optic nerve. And the surgery that we're going to do will correct that and you'll be able to see totally clear 2020. And you're like, okay, great, great, great. But then you say, uh, are there any risks? And said, yeah, there is a risk. If we mess up on this surgery, though, the risk is you'll be completely blind. And you're like, man, that's, that's an extreme risk. I can see clearly 2020, no more cloudiness, or I may go blind. And then you ask again. So you're like, oh, so tell me more about yourself. And she said, I went to Harvard, went to Wilmer Institute, did a year of research uh, fellowship in Oxford. I've written all these journals. And you show all these journal articles. I've written for all these columns. I've been on CNN. I've done all this stuff. And you're like, that's amazing. And your confidence begins to rise. But the question you and I would ask is this. Um, can I get a referral of some former patients of yours that I can talk to to see their experience in their vision, if their vision began to get clear or what happened. At this point, your ophthalmologist gets kind of nervous and kind of backs away from her desk. And you're like, can I, you know, just a name or two, maybe three or four patients that I can just talk to and see how they went. And then she's like, well, you know, I went to Harvard. I've written all these journals for the Journal of American Medicine. I've done all this stuff. And you're like, ah, that's great. That's great. You're doing all this research. You know a lot about the eye. But my question is, how many of these surgeries have you done? And then she says, well, you'll be my first, right? I haven't done any. At this point, I was slowly back away from the desk, walk out the door, and I'm going to find that doctor, the ophthalmologist who almost flunked out of med school, but has done thousands of successful surgeries before I'd go to her. Because the difference is she may know a lot, but she sure ain't practicing a lot. And I'd rather go someone who knows some but practicing a lot rather than her. But you know what? Here's the great problem of the church in America is we have turned biblical knowledge and equated it with maturity. We've turned biblical knowledge, known the Bible studies, and equated it with spiritual maturity. So you can go to all the Bible studies in the world, go on a community group, watch all the great preachers and pastors on YouTube and online, and keep a journal and stuff. And we think we know a lot of the Bible. We've memorized a lot. We know a lot. We've been through every single Bethmore Bible study. And we equate it with, I'm mature. But you're just like that eye doctor who's researched it, who knows it. And the question is, are you putting it into practice? And the consistent practice of God's word out of a love for God, out of trusting God, is what's going to help you grow. It's going to make you grow spiritually. So that's the question. What are you putting into practice? So how do you consistently get into God's word? How do you consistently get into God's word? I'm, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I'm glad you all come regularly on Sunday to hear God's word. But when you hear God's word, how do you make sure to put it into practice? Or when you study the Bible tomorrow morning, or as you 
uh, getting a Bible study. How do you ensure that you're putting this stuff into practice? So a couple things I can suggest is this, is obviously praying before you get into God's word. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. He illumines the word of God. And you say, all right, Holy Spirit, show me, teach me God's word. And when you learn God's word, you don't say done. I'm, I'm done. I've stopped. I've accomplished what I need to accomplish. Or I heard this before, like people, you know, say, oh man, that message this morning was so convicting. Like Ryan would say, it's like that mouthwash that burns. Oh, it hurts, right? But if you're not doing anything with it, a good sermon is not one that leads to conviction. A good sermon is one that is a call to discipleship, to action, to follow Jesus. So once you know you're getting into God's word consistently, and don't wait till 2021 and Start a new year. There's plenty of Bible reading plans to get in God's word. There's the one-year Bible, something I've used. And this year, I'm actually going to do something different. I've already started. I'm going through the Daily Walk Bible, which takes you through the entire Bible, verse by verse, or book by book by book through the year. Uh, it's put out by Walk Through the Bible. They have charts and other things. And my thing to God is, God, what do you want me to know? But then, God, what do you want me to do? Because I love Jesus, because I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? So that's my challenge to you is how are you going to get through this year getting God's word into you and applying it? Many years ago, uh, when I was living with Eric, we had a friend of ours come over. We had a bunch of friends over, actually, a bunch of friends over from Oakland Bible Fellowship, the church I was a part of. And Oakland Bible Fellowship, Dr. Tony Evans is a pastor there, preaches 42 Sundays out of the year, THD in theology. I'm just a gifted, gifted preacher, scholar, theologian. And a friend of ours who's a part of the church said this. I'm leaving Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And we're like, why? And this is what they said. And perhaps you've heard this before and maybe even thought this before. Because I'm not getting fed. And I'm like, uh, are you listening to the same preaching I'm listening to? Like, that's Tony Evans, right? Like, you're not getting fed. And here's what Eric asked immediately. Are you saying to me, every single time you hear the word of God preached by Tony Evans, whoever's there, you're putting what you hear, every single word you hear, into practice. And then she said, no. So he said, it's really not a feeding problem. Really, it's an application problem. You're hearing the word of God. You're perhaps even ingesting the word of God. But you're almost like that bulimic. You're spitting it all up again. It is not really sticking to your bones because you're not putting the word of God into practice. So the problem is not you're not getting fed. God's feeding you. It's just not sticking to your bones because you're not putting it into practice. You're not building spiritual muscle. Um, and that's my encouragement to you is, is the word of God sticking to your bones. So here's a big idea for today. If you hear and do, the storms won't destroy you. If you hear and do, the storms won't destroy you. Not just hear, but hear and do. The storms won't destroy you. It's inevitable that we're all going to go through challenges in life, in our parenting, in marriage, at work, with our health, with our parents, with our kids, globally, with the economy, pandemics, violence, racial injustice. We're going to go through those types of things. It's inevitable. We live in a broken, fallen world. Jesus says you will have trouble. But if you consistently, out of a love for Jesus, Apply God's word. Put it into practice. He says, the storms may come, but you'll be that, that house, that life built on the rock. And not a fool. Um, if you've ever, um, you remember that story about Captain Sully Sullenberger who landed the plane right there on, on Hudson Bay, I believe. 
And he wrote a book called My Highest Duty or Highest Duty. And in the book, this is what he says. He says, none of us are ever prepared for those like emergency situations. Like we don't sit there like on our day planner and says, today you're going to have a catastrophic situation with your son. Today you're going to have a catastrophic situation at work. Today you're going to have a, a diagnosis of some terminal illness. Like we don't have that on our calendar. And he says, as a pilot, we don't have that. But this is what we do have. We consistently learn in pilot school all these things. And it's really just putting all those things into practice on a regular basis. We learn and we put into practice. And when we do that consistently, when those emergencies come, when those trials come, nothing happens because we've been consistently putting stuff into practice all those years. And that's true of God's word as well, that as we put God's word into practice and do it, when those storms come, because they don't show up on your day planner, they don't show up on your calendar, on your phone, he says, you'll be ready for those things because you've already been putting those things into practice and you're on that rock. Uh, many years ago, um, when I was at Oakland Bible Fellowship, one of the things we did, I was a youth worker there, and um, we took the students. Uh, some of the students that were there were thinking about going to college, and um, so we decided, our youth pastor, Wayne Mitchell, who actually married my wife and I 23 years ago, um, he decided to take what's called a black college tour. He would take spring break every year in March. And for that week, we'd leave on that Friday and we'd come back the following Sunday. So we'd be gone for about 10 days. And we would take uh, students who are juniors and seniors on a tour of black colleges all around the United States, mostly, mostly in the East Coast and the Southeast. So we'd leave Dallas in this big bus and we first drive to Atlanta and go to all the schools in Atlanta. We'd go up the coast. We'd get to like Washington, D.C., visit Howard. And we'd get to Baltimore area as well. We'd go to a day trip in New York City just to enjoy, come back down go through Virginia, North Carolina, and then back, I think, into like Louisiana. And I remember in particular, we had visited Hampton University, which is in Hampton, Virginia. We're taking a tour of the school, and um, we stopped at a building, and it was called the Academy Building. It was one of the oldest buildings on campus. And we were looking at this building, and the tour guide stopped, and we were there with about a dozen or two dozen kids, students, and the tour guide began to explain that this is one of the oldest buildings on campus. About 20, 30 years ago, because it was such an old building, the administration said, hey, you know what, let's build a nice modern building, something that's, you know, like has windows that are energy efficient, has like all these computer things and technology. And so here's the academy building. So they said, this thing is like built in 1881, only like 13 years after the founding of the school. Let's build a new building for our administrators. So they hired a group of engineers to come and try to demolish this building and level it so they could build a brand new building on top. So the engineers went in, they put dynamite explosives all throughout the building. And you've seen videos like that. They walk away from the building. They have the little plunger thing. Three, two, one. <laughs> Dust settles, building shakes. The building is still standing. And they're like, what's going on here? Like, we're trying to destroy this building. Now, the building is still standing. Engineers said, round two, more explosives, more dynamite. So they put even more in. Wound back, stepped back again, warned everybody. At this point, the buildings around the academy building, their windows are shattering. They're getting cracks in their brick and their foundation. The dust settles and the academy building is still standing. And they're like, what is going on with this building? The buildings around the academy building are beginning to crumble, and yet this building is still standing. 
So they asked the engineers, no more, no more dynamite, no more stuff, because we, we're trying to like, not have our campus fall apart. And they said, why is this building still standing? And this is what the engineers did. They discovered that the foundation of this building was made extra, extra deep all the way down to the bedrock because the academy building, like the entire campus, sits on the Chesapeake Bay in Virginia. And because it sits on the Chesapeake Bay, they said this building was designed to withstand hurricanes, storms, flooding, and all kinds of damage. And the reason why, no matter what we do to this building, it won't come down is because this building has a foundation on bedrock. And you know what? At that point, a friend of mine who's a preacher as well, Robert Triggs, Rob and I said, ooh, there's something in that, Doc. And I said, that's true of the Christian as well. The Christian who consistently hears, studies God's word and puts it into practice is like the academy building. Even when you experience satanic opposition and persecution and trials and storms in life, you will not come down. Other people around you may be shaken and ruffled, but you will not come down. Forgot to mention this. I'll say this and I'll sit down or pray and sit down. That word act in uh, Matthew uh, 7, 25, that word act, all the other times in, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, even in Paul's epistles, you've heard me say this before, they always speak in the plural. So rather than saying you, he should actually say y'all. But here in Matthew 7, 25, Jesus is looking straight at you, straight at me, not the person sitting next to you, not to your parents, because that word acts is in the singular. He's saying you have to hear and you have to act. You can't look at the person sitting next to you, your parents or your children. You can't look at your pastor. You have to act. You hear the word, you say the word and you act. And if you do that, your house will be built on the rock. And when you have trials and difficulties, the loss of loved ones and challenges, you will remain standing because you have heard and you've acted. The Academy building today is a museum. It's actually a museum on the campus of Hampton University, which is now it brings glory to the school. And you know what happens when you hear and do, when you hear and act and you go through the storms of life and you remain standing, you become a museum for God. God is glorified because you had a love for Jesus that said, I'm going to hear God's word. I'm going to study God's word and act on it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this model of uh, the uh, academy building, this illustration. God, I pray that this church would be made up individually of academy buildings, that we would hear your word Sunday to Sunday. We would study your word Monday through Saturday. We would learn your word in Bible study and community group God, we would be convicted. We'd be challenged. We'd be encouraged. But God, we would not that, let that be the end point. But God, we would move to application, to obedience, to action. And that we'd hold one another accountable. Put your word into practice, God. So God, I pray that as we encounter the living word, Jesus Christ, through the written word, the Bible, we would hear his voice. The God breathe, the second Timothy 3, 16, 17, the scripture, all scriptures inspired, expired from the mouth of God through human instruments. They would hear your voice that we would not quench the spirit. And God, it would move us out of a love for you, a love for Jesus, a radical focus on him, 
to obedience, to action. God, even if it's difficult, even when you tell us to love our enemies, to love people that we don't like, to forgive as we've been forgiven. But God, you don't know how badly I've been hurt. God, to speak the truth in love, even when it's awkward and perhaps even inconvenient. To show mercy. To give of our financial resources, because God, you love a cheerful giver. God, our selfish, greedy hearts want only to love people we like, want to only give our leftovers after we thought about ourselves, want only to think about ourselves, God. So all this stuff we're talking about, apart from your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, God, is impossible. So God, we die to ourselves, we take up our cross, not just today on Sunday, because we're here gathered as your people, but every day, God, that we would live a life of keeping your word, of guarding your word, like the secret service agent whose life revolves around guarding the president, that our lives will revolve around the word that became flesh, Jesus Christ, and the written word that reveals him, God. God, I do pray for anyone here today who's yet to put their faith in Christ. I tell you, today will be the day during this Advent season Jesus Christ has come to forgive and save sinners like them simply by placing their faith in Christ and his finished work. That today be the day they place their faith in Christ. And again, for us, Lord, that we would hear your word and put it into action. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask a prayer team. If you need special prayer, if you're going through a trial, I'm not trying to make light of trials and challenges in life. I know they're difficult. Uh, we're going to have our prayer team. They'll be outside in the storage container. So out these doors on the right, they'll be available to pray with you. Also, we have the app as well. If you have a prayer request, please tap the app and fill out a prayer request. The elders of Spring Branch, we pray every Thursday morning at 615. And we love, really do love uh, having the opportunity to pray with you.